favorite city. The second visit has confirmed it. Um, and actually, after John and I met at a Jesus Collective gathering, I think about a little over a year ago, I came back and people asked me what the highlight was, and I, I said I met a couple of awesome people, and um, one of the people I was talking about was John Howe and the things that he was doing here at Reality. So it's so fun to be here in person. Um, I also want Jenny to know, I don't see where she is at the moment, but I want Jenny to know that speech was my worst class in high school, and now I travel over the world and do this, so God has a sense of humor, and she should watch out. (laughs) I understand you are in the Gospel of Luke, which is my favorite Gospel of Jesus, so I'd like to read a short story from Luke 17 today. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with skin diseases approached him. Keeping their distance from him, they raised their voices and said, Jesus, Master, show us mercy. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As soon as they left, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned and praised God with a loud voice. He fell at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus replied, Weren't ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one returned to praise God except this foreigner. Then Jesus said to him, Get up and go. Your faith has healed you. You know, the thing about gospel stories is they're really short on words. And you have to use your imagination to kind of read between the lines and picture the scene of what's going on. This story often haunts me because it it leaves me with this question immediately. Do you ever wonder what the deal is with the other nine? Like, what what is the story with these people? These are real people, just like us. We can imagine ourselves in their shoes. And unfortunately, I'm haunted by the story because I feel like I have a pretty clear idea what the deal is with the other nine, because I'm one of them. So I I want you to just picture the scene with me. We have ten lepers, and we're going to call one of these lepers John. Not because of your pastor, (laughs) but because there are ten And approximately 10% of men in Judea during this time were named John. So there's pretty good odds there was a John among this group of lepers. It's fair to say, I think, that the day that John found a rash was the worst day of his life. Um, Leprosy is, in the Gospels, is a generic term that covers a whole range of skin diseases. It's not one disease, it could be one of many. And skin diseases were very common in Palestine in the first century um, because this is an era where human waste is being tossed into the street and everybody is walking through it all the time. The the nearest body of water is about 15 kilometers away, so there are not a lot of baths going on. So so skin diseases tended to pop up a lot. But this this generic term, term leprosy was known as the living death because of the consequences of it. If you were found with some kind of a a rash on your skin, you were required to leave your community and move outside of town to avoid spreading it to anybody else. 
Uh, I think those of us who recently lived through a COVID quarantine are in good position to, uh, to imagine what this would be like. This is like COVID quarantine, except there are no internet cat videos, and no snacks, and no house, and no family, and no guarantee this thing is ever going to end. At this point, when you are sent in quarantine away from the community, the only way you have to even communicate with your family or people you love is by shouting across a huge distance. So at some point one day, someone shouts to this community of lepers that are out on the edge of town, there's a rabbi named Jesus who's been healing lepers. And they hear this rumor going around by shout, And this group of lepers who've been living outside of town camp beside the road for days, hoping that Jesus is going to pass. And they know going in, they're never going to get near him. They're not allowed to get close to the road. So the only option they have is as Jesus and his whole posse of people are passing by on the road, they shout as loud as they can, just four words, Jesus, Master, Mercy! And Jesus cups his hands around his mouth and shouts back, Go see the priests! Now, the thing about priests is that priests are not healers. That's not their job. Priests are administrators. Their job is to certify when somebody's skin has been better. And not only that, but the priests are located about six days walking away. Now, only somebody truly desperate starts six days of walking for no apparent reason. But they don't have anything better to do anyway. So so they look at each other and they decide they're going to start walking in the direction to file the paperwork, as Jesus said. And as they turn and they begin walking, it's Miguel, a foreigner, a Samaritan, who's the first one to notice that something has happened. This is a person they never would have met under any other circumstance. Jews and Samaritans did not mix at all. It's only this common wound of leprosy that has brought them together. But as they're walking along, Miguel turns to John and says, John, your rash is gone. And John looks down at his arms and his legs and and sees his skin is totally clean again. And they all start looking at each other. And they begin laughing uncontrollably. And they're crying and they're hugging and people are dancing and... Everything just breaks loose. And one of them says, if we start running right now, we can be at the priest in three days, and we can be home to our families in six. And so they just take off and they bolt. It's a solid hour before they notice that Miguel is not with them. But everybody shrugs, and they don't really care because he was never really one of them anyway. And they just keep going. I imagine this journey felt a lot like the last hour of a road trip where you've been in the car with your kids forever and every minute feels like an eternity. And they're passing the time on the way to the priest and back talking about what is the first meal they're going to eat when they get back home? Like, what is the expression on their wife's face going to be when she sees them walk in? Like, how incredible and magical this is going to be. And you wonder, didn't John think about Jesus at all? as they're having this conversation about, about food and what they're going to do? Didn't, didn't he think about the guy who helped him? And I think the answer is, 
Of course he did. Of course he wondered. But here's the thing. He never actually talked to Jesus outside of four words. Jesus never touched him. They never had a dramatic, magical, supernatural feeling moment. I mean, diseases come and go with this strange whimsy, right? Like, he didn't know it was going to come on one day. He didn't, so, so when it disappeared, that's just kind of how these things go. He'll never know for sure what happened. So, so John makes this journey to the priests. He comes back home. His family celebrates. He throws his arms around them, and he swears to himself he will never again take for granted the life that he has. But of course he does, right? I worked in Africa for a while. I swore I would never again take for granted turning on a light switch or having a hot shower. I mean, you, you don't notice the day you stop noticing things, right? John didn't notice the day he stopped being filled with wonder. But of course that day came really quickly because home was where he was always supposed to be. It was that other thing that was the bad dream. It, it was the other thing, that, that, those months of leprosy, that wasn't supposed to happen. He was supposed to be here. So he gets back into his life. He returns to the joys and the gifts of it. The seasons pass. And he really doesn't think much about that period of leprosy at all. He tries not to think about it. Except occasionally when he passes a leper on the side of the road and his chest kind of tightens for a minute. And then drought hits the community a few years later, and he stops thinking about it at all. Everybody's just too busy trying to grow their crops and survive. The story of the nine, I think, is easy to imagine because we all know why we don't go back. There's, there's three big reasons, I think, that all of us collectively, we don't return. Um, one of these reasons is that when you are a leper, you spend all day thinking about your pain and your problems. But when you're a healed leper, you have a life to lead. You've got a dog to walk. You've got kids to raise. You have church to attend. And Netflix isn't going to just watch itself. I mean, you're so busy enjoying the gifts, you don't really have time to sit around just reflecting on where they all came from. That's one reason we don't look back. But another interesting thing that I think happens is it's not long after we receive a gift that a gift stops becoming a gift and it just starts becoming the status quo. A, A few years ago, I bought a used Honda Civic. And this was a really big moment in my life. I had had an old junker of a car for years that was constantly breaking down at the side of the road. Um, It didn't have a a good audio system, so if I wanted to listen to a podcast, I had to stick my phone in a cup to amplify the sound. And I got this, like, generic little Honda Civic, and I felt like the fanciest person in the entire state of Arizona. And I actually said to myself, am I so fancy that I'm embarrassing myself as a pastor with this Honda Civic? And I would sit in my car in the parking lot of my apartment, and I would listen to my phone through the Bluetooth speakers, and I would be like, no one has ever lived in this luxury. And about three months passed with this new car, and I was like, why does this car not have a cup holder? What kind of a car does not have a cup holder? Right? Why does my GPS map not appear on the little Bluetooth screen? How did I get a car that doesn't have a map feature on the screen? 
Like, the, the gift had stopped registering as a gift at all. Now it was the new, it was the new status quo. I mean, today you're a healed leper, and tomorrow you're just a guy fighting with his son over who cleans the shower. Right? Today you're a healed leper, T- tomorrow you're just a normal person having your normal fights. The gift is just the baseline now. The gift is just what you expect life to provide. This is not gift. This is normal. This is what you should be having. And the third thing that happens to us, we're busy appreciating the gifts so we don't think to be thankful for it. We stop recognizing gifts as gifts and they become status quo. The third thing that happens is that the joy gets swamped by the reality of the next need. Like yesterday, all you wanted in the world was to be healed of leprosy, but today you're back in the community and you need a new job. Right? One problem is solved, but the solving of that problem has created a new problem, and that's where your attention is. I think it's really easy to understand what happened with the nine. The real mystery of the story is what happened with the one. What's the deal with this guy who recognized something and turned around? Well, the one thing we know about this one guy, we, we called him Miguel, is that he's a Samaritan. And Jesus had said to this group of le- lepers, go see the priests. And that is a problem if you're a Samaritan. Because Samaritans and Jews have different priests who work in different cities. So when Jesus says, go see the priest, and everybody takes off running, Miguel's like, shoot, which group of priests do I go to? I mean, Jesus is a dude. Did he mean his priests? And he's locked in this moment of hesitation. Like, do I go right or do I go left? Which direction does he go? And all at once it occurs to this man, it wasn't the priest that helped me. It was Jesus that just fixed my problem. So instead of making this choice, right or left, which set of priests, which set of temples, which religious system is going to fix this, the guy decides he's going to go back to Jesus himself and recognize the person that was the answer to his problem. So he throws himself at Jesus' feet and says, thank you. And what's really amazing about this story is Jesus' response. It's easy to miss what's weird about this response. Jesus says to him, weren't there ten lepers that were healed here? Where's everybody else? And then he says this to the man. Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. Do you hear what's weird about that? Jesus just said all ten got healed. So what's the difference with this guy? I mean, you, if, if you didn't know Jesus, you might almost be tempted to think this was a test, and Jesus is going to retract healing from the nine ingrates that didn't come back, and be like, congratulations, friend, you passed the test. You're the one that gets to keep it. You might be tempted to think that if you hadn't read the rest of the story in Luke, because not that long before this story in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 6, Jesus had said this about what God is like. Listen to Jesus' description of who God is. If you love those who love you, why should you be commended? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, why should you be commended? Even sinners do that. 
If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, why should you be commended? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid back in full. Instead, love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. If you do, you'll have a great reward. You will be acting like children of the Most High Act, for God is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. Be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. God is kind to ungrateful and wicked people. This has already been Jesus' statement of principle on who God is. God is kind to the ungrateful. Mercy isn't contingent on anything, including gratitude. God's mercy is not contingent on anything, including gratitude. Honestly, if you ask me, 10% is probably a better than average day for God. Right? A 10% acknowledgement of gifts would be a great day for the kingdom of heaven. God doesn't take back gifts because people aren't grateful. So what is Jesus talking about then? How can he say to this one person who returns, your faith has healed you? Well, the secret that's hidden here is actually in the original language. When Jesus says, your faith has healed you, that word healed is a different word than the word healed or cleansed that was used for the lepers. The the word healed, the word cleansed that was used for the ten, is a word for physical healing. right? Something material has happened to your skin, your skin has been fixed. Right? That's what's happened to the lepers. The word that Jesus uses for the one leper who returned is different. It is a word that means well. Your faith has made you well. Holistically whole. All ten lepers got healed, but only the grateful leper got well. The moment that the story of these nine and this one diverged is not the moment they got healed from leprosy. The moment their stories diverged into fundamentally different paths was at the point of gratitude or not. That's the point their stories began, radically different trajectories. As far as the nine were concerned, one day, illness mysteriously struck and almost ruined their lives. And then another day, a stranger told them to go see the priest, and the illness mysteriously went away, and they moved on with their lives. Maybe someday when they're old and they're going back reviewing their life, they're going to look back on their moment, and they're going to think how strange life is, and how amazing it is that their life took this turn for the better. I mean, it could have been worse. But the one is going to have a different story. The one who went back, this is going to be his story. One day, an illness mysteriously struck, caused him great suffering, and almost ruined his life. And he called out to God in Jesus, and God heard his voice and responded. One day, mystery, suffering almost took him under, and he cried out, and God talked back. God responded with no questions of whether he deserved it. God responded with no formula of how he was going to earn something. 
God responded with no expectation of some particular outcome in return. He just cried out, and God heard. And that is the knowledge that he is going to take through the world every day after this. He cried out, and God listened. All ten lepers went home with clear skin, but only one leper went home whole. Only one leper went home with this renewed vision and a renewed heart and an ability to walk through the world in peace and confidence. Gratitude was the key to unlocking the second gift. Healing was the first gift, but there was a second gift. It was the difference between being a person that something good happened to once and a person who is seen and heard and cared for by a personal God. Gratitude is the key to the second gift. The problem with lack of gratitude is not that we offend God into taking back our presence. The problem with lack of gratitude is we never get to open the second gift. There's this epidemic of anxiety that is just consuming Western cultures. Right? The levels of, of medicated anxiety and depression are just going up and up and up. And there's this visceral fear that is striking so many of us. There isn't enough in the world. But we don't know how we're going to get through. We don't have the things we need. We're not sure if God really provides. We're not really sure if we're worth God's concern. In the biblical story, the problem of sin is rooted in a distortion in our image of God. We humans have, have developed a distorted vision of who God is, and that plays itself out in all sorts of ways in our lives, in the world. Because we can't see God as a God who is engaged in our lives, who's involved, who cares, we hoard, we use violence, we're locked down in fear, we grasp, we hide... Like, most of the damage we do to the world comes out of this place of visceral fear that is rooted in a distortion in the image of God. There's a reason that gratitude is the, th- is the activity the Bible commands the most often. The Bible says, praise, give thanks, over and over, more than anything else. The, the reason that gratitude and praise and thanks are the most commanded practices in the Bible is that they are the key to unlocking the thing God most wants to give to heal the world. Like, these practices unlock it. God wants to heal the world beginning with a realization that what we are receiving is not just scattered gifts, but intentional gifts that demonstrate to us there is someone behind this world, engaged in this world, who reliably is good, who reliably cares, who hears us, who's engaged and responds. Gratitude is the practice that teaches us to see what's really going on in the world. It it teaches us to see God again. It's the key to breaking off the sphere that is holding us and our world hostage. Gratitude, as it builds on itself, it gives us the confidence to go through the world walking bravely, giving generously, taking risks for other people, and sleeping at peace at night. Because we know how engaged God is. This this gift of gratitude, this is the key to all of the rest of the healing. A few of you who were here uh, this week for the Jesus Collective event heard me tell this story. 
Um, But during my first year of pastoral ministry, I had moved cross-country far away from my family. I was starting this new ministry alone, didn't know anyone in the community. And I, I was having a really difficult time just getting my feet under me. And one night I was sitting in my apartment and I just hit rock bottom. And I I was crying and I was in prayer and I was so frustrated that I couldn't hear God. I couldn't see God. I was like, I took this risk for you and here I am. And I remembered suddenly what my father had always told us as kids about prayer. My father would always tell us, just be honest with God. Like your chief job is just to be honest and say what you need. And so I, I was on my knees in my apartment and I just shouted, God, I need to know that you see me. I need to know that I am not doing this work alone. Didn't hear anything, didn't feel anything, went to bed, just like figures. The next morning I got up and I went to my office at the church, and I was sitting in my office alone, and all of a sudden I heard a knock on the outside door of the church. And I opened the door, and there was a retired man there in his mid-70s, and I led him into the church, and he said, I'm in, I'm in town from 2,000 kilometers away. I'm, I'm here on vacation, and every morning I get up and I pray, and I say, Holy Spirit, is there anything I can do for you today? And this morning I was praying, and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go and knock on that door of that church because there's somebody inside that building that needs encouragement. I was seen. I was heard by God. About eight years ago, I was in a position, I had been working in that job as a solo pastor for a long time, and I was just at a point in my life where I really needed community, and I had just been praying and praying for God to provide like some kind of partnership, some kind of community, and I, I was getting some various job offers, and every time I would pray about whether to take this new job and to move to a new place, the Holy Spirit would just, I would just have this feeling, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and people in my life were telling me I, I was crazy, Right? Like, take these jobs, move on. Just kept feeling this door shut internally. And one day I was standing in line at the post office in my town, and my cell phone rang, and I picked it up. And somebody was calling to tell me that a pastor who I had incredible respect for in Arizona, um, a, a young father, had just been killed in a motorcycle accident. And I was receiving this news, just kind of reeling, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, clear as day, this is your church. This is the community you've been waiting for. I I didn't know what to do with that clear feeling at that moment, so I didn't tell anybody about it. I just went home, and I thought, well, if this is the Spirit, God's going to have to demonstrate something. Um, I didn't tell a single person, and three weeks later one of the staff of the church called me up and said, we would like you to come and serve on the pastoral staff at our church. Twelve hours later, my landlord called and said, I'm moving my mother-in-law into your apartment and I'm evicting you immediately. (laughs) The last eight years, I have had the opportunity to work with the most wonderful community of staff that just spoke so deeply to that need in my life. I keep thinking more and more, as I'm in a new stage of life, it's so easy to forget where God has been faithful before. What you've learned, that you were seen and you were heard, you just lose it, right? You hear me tell those stories, and you're like, that sounds amazing. Like, shouldn't you be changed by that? And here I am again, eight years later, going, does God really care? Does God really hear me? 
And I keep coming back to these words that Jesus says in Matthew 6. If God cares for the sparrows, how much more are you? God is up there looking at the birds flying around in the spring, attending to each one of their lives and their needs. There's not one of us whose story is outside that level of attention and care. And we don't earn it. We don't perform our way into it. It just is. It's who God is. We are all known and seen that way. Most of us start from a place a lot more like the nine than the one. We've received all sorts of gifts and we've gathered them in, and maybe we've never even noticed them as gifts. We've received the gift, but we've missed the love letter attached to the package. There's another gift that God wants to give us. The second gift is the ability to move through the world with the confidence that there is someone who knows what you need before you ask and is working ahead of you for your good. When you know that, when that begins to grab you in the gut, you are freed for a whole different kind of Christian life. For boldness, for faithfulness, for taking risks, for following freely. Like, it is a game changer in the existence that you can live in the world. But the best way to receive that game-changing gift is to do what the one did and trace your steps backwards. Trace them backwards. I want to close today by inviting you into an exercise of remembering, of walking backwards a bit. So I want to invite you, if you're willing, if you're comfortable, to just close your eyes. And let me ask you a series of questions. Think back five years ago in your life, maybe ten if you're older. Remember where you were in life. Remember who you were. Five or ten years ago, where were you? Who were you? What were you crying out for? What were you praying for? What did you need? What situation were you in at that moment in your life that you weren't exactly sure if it would work out? Is there any area of your life where you are more whole than you were before? Is there any place where you were in darkness, where now you are in light? Is there any place where you were alone and alienated and now are experiencing belonging? Consider that this wasn't an accident. Goodness and mercy have been following you 
Goodness and mercy are following you right now. Goodness and mercy are finding things, opening roads, steering, nudging, providing, even before you're aware of what you need. Picture Jesus standing in front of you, smiling. Saying to you, all of these gifts are from me. who says thank you. Take a moment to receive the second gift. says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The moment we were born, goodness and mercy was already there. Charting a path toward hope and purpose. Belonging. Grace. In our past, goodness and mercy were there leaving gifts on the doorstep in the moments we needed them most. Regardless of whether or not we sent a thank you note, the gifts just kept showing up. Wherever we are today, your goodness and mercy is already ahead of us. Already making a path toward life, toward hope and a future. What can we say but thank you? Jesus, grow us up into people like you who can walk through the world in its beauty and its costliness, in its wonder and its risk with the confidence of belonging to the one who is above and before and behind all things. As grateful people, we commit ourselves into your care. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.